Hello everyone and welcome to the Property Investment Blueprint Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build generational wealth, whilst gaining total freedom from your business or job. That is what Property Investment Blueprint Podcast is all about. I am your host, Rahim Ba. In less than five years, I was able to start my property investment journey from zero to building a multi-million pound property investment portfolio that generates passive income that allows my wife and I to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I will share with you how to create wealth without creating a job. You will learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over seven figures all before the age of 30. If you want to learn all about low risk property investing, achieve financial freedom and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Hello and welcome to Property Investment Blueprint. In today's podcast, I have Rory O'Mara. Rory is a finance guy. Um, he's created and founded his own bridging loan company. The bridging loan company is called CloseBridgingFinance.com. Um, he's one of the biggest um, bridging loan companies in Winchester. He's doing absolutely amazing. And he has three children, one dog. He loves Formula One. I love Formula One, by the way. He's a biker. He's right. He likes to ride bikes, and then he's been lived in the US for about eighteen years, and he's doing absolutely amazing in in the finance world. He's helped his investors raised over hundred million pounds since he started his bridging loan company. So you won't have anybody with 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 better experience and knowledge. Um, to share on how to raise finance to ensure you're able to take your property investment journey to the next level. One of the reasons why I wanted Rolly to actually join this um, podcast, um, catch up with me, is, to, is for me to share to you out there that really sometimes money is not the issue. It's about knowing how to raise finances, what avenues are there to take advantage of to ensure you're able to get that funds you need to fund your um, property in investment. Rory is the guy who would actually share all that to us, and also he's one of the he's 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 a one stop um, finance guy. He can lend his money himself, and also he works with one of the biggest bridging loan companies in in the UK as well to help you raise funds should you need um, some some kind of loans that he doesn't facilitate within his own um, umbrella. So, Rory, really welcome to Property Investment Blueprint Podcast. Hello, Rahim, and thanks for the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with you and also just to share with our audience um, how we can use products like bridging and development finance to, um, you know, to boost your property portfolio and, uh, and, and get going on your journey. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, 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 for being here. So really, before we get to talking about finance or bridging, I was fascinated in you talking about bike riding in um, Vietnam. So what really triggers you to go to Vietnam to actually cycle around all around Vietnam? Yeah, so that was, oh, I think 2017. So that was on a motorbike, not, not a push bike. Okay. So yeah, and I've always loved motorbikes. Uh, I don't have a bike at the minute, but I've had lots of bikes in the past. And a friend of mine and I, we thought, you know, look, what a great opportunity. Go and spend, I think we're there for just over a couple of weeks and rode around all of North Vietnam. And uh, I think the biggest thing I learned on that trip is uh, sometimes you've got to push push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Which is key. So I had I fell off twice, which I was fine, but I did end up with uh, knee surgery on both knees and also surgery on my shoulder. Oh no. Uh, but that I was a, okay. a combination of old age. Uh, but so, but I think it's good to put yourself out of your comfort zone and, and push yourself. 
Absolutely. Thanks very much for sharing because I am I am I am also a motorbike enthusiast as well. I love it. You know, I I I love the bike riding things. I would love to have I would love to be doing that all the time. I'm planning right. to actually go to Philippi to actually go and try it there as well. So I've never oh, done no. it before, but it would be a good experience for me. Yeah, lovely. So before we got to talking about finance, Rory, I really would like to know a bit about your background. Are you a property investor as well, or have you been investing, or are you a landlord, or you're purely just helping investors to raise finance? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, so really, Rim, I'm I'm an entrepreneur. And so, you know, I graduated in the uh, in 1987. Yeah. I worked for a company called NCR. So if you've ever got money out of a cash machine, NCR make cash machines and they make yeah. tills. And I worked for those guys in the city. I got involved in uh, a tech business, sold, sold that in 2005. And so what I've learned over time is when I get bored very easily, yeah. I like to be challenged. And I look for the opportunity. And that opportunity came about when I sold my um, consulting, IT consulting business to my yeah. business partner yeah. in 2005. Okay. I set up a sales training business. And as part of that, I was contacted by some guys who were quite active in the whole area of sale and rent back. Yeah. But there was a franchise concept called AQS, a quick sale. Yeah. And in those days, for those who are listening, uh, if you can recall, you genuinely could buy a property, no money down. Yeah. And that was, you'd be buying, or the investors I was working with uh, were buying below market value, sorry, below market value, no money down for motivated sellers, which was a whole new world to me because yeah. I just owned my own home. Yeah. The opportunity was that in those days, it was very difficult to get hold of bridging funds. Yeah. And the concept of a closed bridge or a daylight bridge basically meant you could buy a house, say it was worth 100K in the morning, yeah. but say 70p in the pound, yeah. uh, it would be refinanced on, on 85p in the pound, and there was a lender called Mortgage Express in those days who yeah. provided an 85% loan-to-value product, mm -hmm. which meant I would lend the bridging money, an hour later you refinanced it, and then you pulled the difference between the price you paid, say 60 or 70p in the pound, and the 85p and that's how we got into setting up close bridging finance wow my view at that time was look this is a gold rush and i want to be one of the guys selling picks and shovels in the gold rush yeah. as opposed to buying property we did later buy uh, so i've helped hundreds and hundreds of investors with strategy reviews yeah and we did build an hmo portfolio which i have since sold okay. um and right now we're very heavily committed with a lot of the bridging that we do, which is major refurbs and development. Okay. And uh, we're just sat on the sidelines right now because I think there might be some big opportunities that will arise later this year or probably into the next year or two. Oh, fantastic. Thanks very much for actually doing that. So you are, you've been in the property game yourself then, so you know what landlords or investors are facing. So you can understand when a landlord or an investor walk into you asking you to help them raise finance, they don't have to kind of explain every every sort of detail for you to understand what their um, uh, requirements are. So so really, really good to know that. So thanks for um, sharing that with us. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I have worked with oh hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of investors over the years Raheem, where we've you know lent funds ourselves. Yeah. Uh, a lot of HMO landlords I've worked with to basically buy and convert property to HMO. 
and then, then arrange the exit term mortgages. So no, I have a full appreciation of the trials and tribulations of being a landlord and also being an investor. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, um, uh, Rory. So um, for those people who doesn't know what bridging finance is and how, we, how it works, could you kindly briefly explain to us what bridging finance is and how does it really, really work for those who want to take advantage of it? Yeah, sure. So let's keep it very simple. Typically, you would use uh, what well, a bridging loan might last from maybe one day to 12 months in terms of time frame. So it's essentially short term finance. And if we focus it from a uh, from an investment point of view, not someone selling their normal home and trying to buy another home that they want to live in because you can bridge that purchase. Let's leave that for the purpose of this conversation. And if you look at it from an investor point of view, normally you might buy a property that might not be mortgageable. That means there's no kitchen, there's no bathroom. Uh, as much as you'd like to get a normal buy-to-let term mortgage, if it's not mortgageable, then you can't get a term mortgage. Yeah. So therefore, you would most likely use cash, uh, which could be your cash or a combination of your money and the bridging finance, which will enable you to buy the property, add the kitchen and bathroom, do the refurbishment, and yeah. then refinance. Yeah. And typically... Um, you'd call that, say, that would be a purchase bridge. Yeah. And it's normally based on the lower of the purchase price or market value. Yeah. Uh, and again, um, that would be what you might call a first charge. Yeah. So if I were lending money, I'm doing one now for a client actually uh, in the Midlands. He's buying a flat. He's bought the flat at auction. Um, it's got a very short lease, which he can extend today. So we're lending him the money on the bridging loan. Yeah. So he gets it bought very quickly. He'll extend the lease. Once the lease is extended, then he'll refinance that on a term mortgage. He's got quite a substantial portfolio, and then he'll just add that to his portfolio. And, and typically, um, that would be a first charge, where the lender has the first charge. You can also offer additional security. So you might have another property. could be an investment property with really low gearing. And what I mean by that is, is say it's worth 100,000, and maybe you've had a 30% or a 30,000 pound mortgage on it, then your gearing is at 30%. Mm. Well, we can, we, we can look at the difference between the 30% and say 70% mm -hmm. roughly uh, to take offer additional security on a bridge. And that would be called a second charge. And you can do that for capital raising. Okay. But again, just keeping it really simple. If you bought a property for 100,000, the typical advance, and this is the killer question. If you ever use bridging, you just want to know, what's my net advance on the day of completion? And that typically would be around 60 to 65% of the purchase price. So if you bought a property for 100K, you're going to re receive roughly 60 to 65%, which means you've got to bring uh, the balance to the table in terms of deposit, um, your stamp duty, legal fees, etc. Or if you have additional property that can act as security, then we may be able to use that as well. So, um, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, no, carry on. Sorry. Yeah, sure. So, so that's just giving you the framework of it. Um, normally, you, again, with a bridge, you can move quickly. Certainly in the current climate, you're trying to get buy-to-let mortgages over the line. A lot of people are still working from home. Lenders are incredibly busy and they're just not working at the uh, sort of speed and pace that they used to. Yeah. Whereas with a bridging loan, I would say I'd expect a bridging loan to, to get it over the line, normally within about, say, 15 to 20 business days. So in the real world, that's three to four weeks. 
I've done some quicker than that, but you know, you need to get the valuation done. Um, obviously, the legals need to be done. And I'd say, yeah, that would not be un- unreasonable, certainly quicker than trying to get a mortgage over the line. Right. Um, normally, then, you must, if you're taking out a bridging loan, again, just keeping it really simple, what's your exit? And what we mean by that is how will you repay the bridge? Yeah. And you need to have a very clear understanding. Typically, if uh, like the flat I'm doing for the client um, in the Midlands, uh, the exit for that will, he'll extend the lease, he doesn't need to refurbish the property, um, and he'll just refinance on a, on a standard buy-to-let mortgage. Right, okay. Yeah? Yeah. So that's a simple overview of a of, of a bridging loan. But there are other types as well, and like if you want, we can just talk very yeah, briefly. Yeah, that will be my next question, actually. Just, okay. just, just to re-emphasize on that then, basically. So what bridging, bridging loan is a short-term loan that allows a client to buy on mortgageable property right in a short term so it's like a bridge like as the word said it's to bridge you from getting a property to be able to do it up and remortgage it on a normal buy to let or sell it then right so that's the exit strategy so basically it allows you to be able to buy a property quicker than if you were to go with a normal mortgage and also with a bridging loan company it allows you to buy a property that is not habitable right let Pretty me, much, like you, you just said just yeah. without worry. It doesn't need to have a kitchen, bathroom, and all that sort of thing. So, um, uh, closebridgingfinance.com would be one of those lenders who would allow who would allow to facilitate the finances for you to be able to get that property. So, once you've got the property, then you then do it up and then obviously remortgage it to a normal mortgage lender. So, in a nutshell, that's what bridging loan com- That's what bridging loan is, isn't it? It, it, it is that that's keeping it really simple. I mean, there are other reasons why you might use a bridging loan to buy at auction, for example, because yeah. you, you won't get a normal mortgage over the line in 28 days. Yeah, you should be able to get a bridging loan over the line, but you've got to make sure that if you were buying at auction, that your solicitor has checked everything because you want to make sure the title is good. Personally, I wouldn't actually buy at auction, I'd either buy before or probably afterwards, and I might renegotiate on term. Yeah, um, but normally you're looking for speed and pace, um, and quirky things like if it's not mortgageable, no kitchen, no bathroom, that's a challenge. Um, and also, if you're going to undertake a major refurbishment, so I've just finished a project with a client. Well, earlier this year, um, he bought a property under uh, it was subject to probate, so the owner had passed. Uh, the property, the title had not been registered. That had to be sorted, and basically he got the property. Uh, we took down, there was a small um, extension at the rear. So that came down. He got planning consent to add a double rear story extension. So then he turned that property into a six bed HMO, very high end uh, HMO. Now, you you wouldn't be able to buy that property on a mortgage because it absolutely was not mortgageable. So we provided the bridging loan. But a spin off on that would be um, we can, because I lend my own money. And I also broker, so I'm quite unique. So I've got the ability to fund projects. And also I work with lots of other lenders uh, where we can arrange the finance. And some of the things we've got some projects going through now where the clients have got a refurbishment that we can not only arrange for the bridging finance that goes towards the purchase, say 50, 60% or thereabout, subject to the end value, Raheem, we can yeah. also provide the uh, refurb money. Yeah, that's exactly what I was, was going to ask you in a minute because 
Um, I've got some people that are, that are a bit confused. They don't really know what sort of bridging and what type of what type of bridging loans are out there. Some of them are saying, "Oh, Raheem, can I do that? Can I do that?" They, they're really, really kind of confused. And would you be able to kind of explain what type of bridging loans are out there that investors can take advantage of? Yeah, sure. So um, keep it really simple. So I'll give you a, an overview just a, a few moments ago. Um, so a, it is also possible to get a bridging loan based on the value of the property, because most lenders will lend on the lower of the market value or purchase price. But sometimes if you're buying at a deep discount and the property's worth more, it might be possible to get the, the, the bridging loan based on the market value. Yeah. The other thing is if we look at what we might call a referred bridge, and this would be, and I've got quite a few of these going through now, where we're uh, the client's buying a site, uh, funny enough, we're just the valuations being done. We're just doing the legals now with one of the lenders that I work with. I, I do this as well, but basically, he'll get sixty to sixty-five percent of the purchase price as the net advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, his refurb is in the region of around forty to fifty thousand pounds, so he'll receive the refurb money. And this is the key thing: in the stages, in arrears. So he'll do some work. So let's say, I think on that particular project, again, it's in the Midlands, um, the refurb's about 40,000. So the monetary, so what we'll probably do is the lender will draw that money down in two stages. And that would be two lots of, say, 20,000. So the surveyor will go out, inspect the work. So obviously what we've submitted with the application is a schedule of work, i.e. what's going to be done and how long and the cost of the works. And then that will be checked by the monitoring surveyor and they go, yep, you've done what you said you're going to do. Here's 20K. The client then does the next piece of work. They'll get the next uh, tranche of money. Then the project's finished. And then what we'll do is we'll work the client to then go and get, he's going to, actually that property, he is not going to keep. He's going to flip it because he wants the profit. So he'll sell that. So a refurb bridge is basically you get some money for the purchase and additional funds towards the refurb. And if you go back to the point I raised earlier, one of the clients I used to do a lot of work with, he would always keep one of his buy-to-let properties. It was worth about 100000 completely debt-free. It had no mortgage on it. Yeah. So every time we worked on a project, mm-hmm. we'd throw that into the mix to give additional security, yeah. which means he, he was putting less cash into the deal. Yeah. The other thing is, so if you talk about can you fund at 100%, so let's say 100% funded bridge. Yes, it is possible where we look to take essentially uh, a cross-collateral charge on other property. So again, like the example I gave with this client of mine, he'd always have one property with no debt. Or if you had low gearing on some of the properties in your portfolio, we could look at that. The other thing that we can do that's quite common, so let's just make a number up. Say your main home was worth say 400,000, just pick a random number, and your mortgage on it was 100,000. So your gearing on that's quite low. What's that, 25%? So we could probably look to take you to maybe 60, 70% of the value and and extract additional funding on a second charge basis on your principal private residence for business purposes, providing the existing first charge lender uh, will provide the consent okay. and that's uh, uh we've worked with a lot of clients where we've done that capital raising 
Mm-hmm. So that's another way you can fund at uh, sort of a hundred percent or thereabouts. Right. Okay. So that 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 is very good to know. Also, so basically, if you're doing refurb bridge, refurb bridge is basically you have to have a pot of money to start with, right? To 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 actually expend whatever you want to spend, and then you get the bridging loan company or the lender to pay you back in an accrual basis. So basically, you spend. They refund that money to you. You spend, and then they refund the money to you. Is that how it works, basically? So if we're talking, uh, so yeah, just to go back to recap for the benefit of our audience. Yeah. So if you've got cash, just if you if you were to get a straightforward bridging loan, buy a property uh, that's worth 100K, which you've got to do a little bit of work on maybe, uh, you're not after drawing that money down. You just get, you'll get 60 to 65% of the buy price. That's it. You have the money. Uh, if you're doing like the example I gave there, this client, uh, he's going to receive about 100,000 from the lender on day one another 40,000 for the works and the end value from memory I think is about 280 to 300,000 so we know what we call the GDV the gross yes. development value uh, is about 300k approximately um so the lender is quite happy to lend the additional money in stages i.e. two stages and in arrears so you're absolutely right Raheem you you spend you do the work you spend the money the surveyor comes out and inspect it and normally within 24 48 hours of an inspection your money is then received. Right. So, that, so that's an example of a bridging loan with some additional funding. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, so, so so that's that. So yeah, that, that is very good because I've even used um, one of the strategies you just talked about, about, use, about using one of your properties as, as, as collateral. So I've used that. I was able to buy a few properties without putting any of my own money down by using one asset I had that didn't have any mortgage as a collateral to be able to raise that funds. So that could be an opportunity for someone who's got a property or someone who's got a, a residential home that, that they haven't really remortgaged for a very, very long time. They may be able to do that, as you said, depending on the actual mortgage um, lender of that property to allow to use that property as a collateral to be able to purchase properties. So again, this is just going by saying you don't really need to worry about money. It's about knowing what you need to know to to acquire the the this asset and knowing people like Rory here would help you facilitate um uh, opportunities like that. So then then Rory, what kind of property can be bought with a bridging loan? Because people are confused. People are thinking, oh, can I get a property that's already done up you know, on a bridge? Or do I really need to buy a property that you know so what sort of loans can a bridging loan um uh, um uh, lend money on? Yeah sure. Okay Raheem. So so the question is, you know, what kind of property can you buy with a bridging loan? The right. answer to that is almost any. But usually, most of the bridging loans that I have facilitated, either directly where I've funded them or I've arranged the funding, they need some form of work or improvement or yeah. they need the lease extending Yeah, because you can't get a regular mortgage. If If you can get a regular mortgage, then you probably wouldn't use a bridging loan. Yeah. Uh, and that's the key thing. Um, pretty much, providing the security is good, then you could almost use a bridging loan for almost any purpose. But our expertise is focusing on property because we work with property investors, we work with landlords. And again, if it's buy to let, it's generally what you call a non-regulated loan. But let's say you want to, um, I've got a project I'm working on with a client now. They have struggled with this project they rang me yesterday and they explained what they were doing. It's very, very simple. It's not complicated. They own a property that's worth about £1.5 million. Yeah. And next door, they're building another property, which they may move into. 
that will be a regulated loan. So I've got a big team that work with me, Raheem. Yeah. So one of my team members can do the regulated advice and we will secure for the client. Um, they've just started construction works. So the just to give you numbers, so you try and understand the concept, you've got a property worth 1.5 million with no debt on it, which is yeah. their main home. Yeah. Building a new property, which will cost about 400,000 to build. Yeah. The end value is about 850. They've right. spent 29,000. Uh, one of my colleagues, I think, is actually going through that phone call now. Um, so what we'll do for the customer is we'll arrange a regulated loan secured on the property that's worth 1.5 million because it has no debt. Yeah. Uh, the objective would be when they finish the build, which is probably Easter next year, they will either move into the new build right. and sell the bigger property at 1.5 million, or they'll retain the big property they've got that's worth 1.5 and they'll just sell the property that's worth, uh, which which costs four hundred to build, and it will sell for eight hundred to eight fifty. But that loan's regulated because they don't know which one they may move into. And with my team, we can offer all the appropriate regulated advice. So yes, you can get bridging. Uh, that would most likely be it's a bridging loan. Yeah, it would be a straightforward bridging loan because they'll just get one chunk of money. We've got that asset. I don't want to make it complicated, but we will come on to development finance a bit later. Right. Also, okay. We can operate in England, Wales, and Scotland. Yeah. Northern Ireland is not as easy. I lived in Northern Ireland for a very long time when I was younger, and I have personally funded projects in 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 Northern Ireland. And it's doable. Fantastic. So basically, ideally, the, the the reason why investors use bridging finance is to get properties that they can add value to, right, and hopefully force that value up to be able to repay back the bridging loan, basically, because. I wouldn't see they unless it's what you've explained earlier on about having a long-term lease. Um, maybe you only want to use a bridging loan on a property that you're going to renovate add value to. If not, then um, if you take a bridging loan for a short-term property that you could have taken a mortgage on, how would you be able to pay that bridging? Because bridging loan tend to be slightly expensive than a normal mortgage, isn't it? Okay, so first point, it's rare that you would use you you obtain a property so buy a property on a bridging loan if you couldn't enhance value or say extend lease yeah. i'm not sure why i would do that now there are some exceptions and funny enough i am working on a project now for a client who's looking to bid at auction on friday yeah. on a flat mm -hmm. but she will not get a regular buy to let mortgage over the line uh within the i think the time frame is 21 or 28 days yeah that's a struggle yeah, of course. So you'd have to use the bridging loan. Yeah. My advice would be, I probably wouldn't bid at auction. I'd, I'd want to either buy before or yeah. afterwards. Correct. I wouldn't want to put myself under that unnecessary pressure, particularly yeah. if there's an issue, like anything at auction, why is it there? Why is it being sold at the auction? Yeah. Is there a problem with the title? Do you absolutely want to make sure your solicitor has actioned that for you? So um, so that's normally why you, you, would, you, you would use a bridging loan. Um, to enhance value, or maybe you just need to buy it quickly. But then you have to be prepared to stomach the costs. If you're not going to refer, but you can't add value, I'm not sure I would use a bridging loan unless you bought at a really deep discount range. Right. That might be the exception where you go, you know what, I can carry those costs. Because um, the flat that I, I mentioned I'm funding for the client with the lease extension, the flat's just had a full refer. So the client doesn't have to do the refurb. It's just the paperwork exercise on the lease extension yeah. uh, and the 
funny enough, it was the investor who sold it at auction. Uh, he just didn't extend the lease. Uh, I don't know why, because if he had, he would have made more money. Uh, but that's the opportunity for investors like us. Yeah, so basically for for your investor that's buying that property on a short lease, where she's where he or she would be adding value is by extending the lease, basically. Absolutely right? correct. Because yeah. once it's extended lease, then the property would be a different value then. So then hopefully they'll be able to remortgage and pay you back your loan and then go into a normal um, a mortgage then. That's exactly fine. The, the valuation report on that property uh, has just come in this morning, just before we started. And... Um, and so I'm happy with everything I've seen. So literally all we will do now next week, uh, there's a deadline date to complete by the 11th of August. Well, my lawyers have put the loan pack together. It, it'll go to the client on the other side. We'll get that turned around. It'll all be done for the for, 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 um, for the 11th of August. But that's why he would use a bridge because of the lease extension. Right, okay. Uh, and sometimes lawyers. there are quirky reasons as well, Raheem. Okay. So what I've learned in 16 years of running this business and providing finance, and I was with a lender last night. Um, it's all bespoke. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically tell us your situation. Uh, and one of my, my expertise is really working with clients on strategy. Mm -hmm. Because if we get your strategy right, then we look at all what tools you need, what building blocks, how do we get you where you want to go? Yeah. Um, and, and so that's really key is understanding the strategy. Then we work out, okay, this is what you're going to do. Now, what finance products do we need? Yeah. yeah? Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. That, that makes perfect. You, you, you did touch on to the lawyers there in a minute, um, a minute ago. Just wanted to ask you basically, do you also have um, a specific requirement or some sort of law firms that have a certain membership to deal with to 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 be able to work with to 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 facilitate the, the um loan process because I know some bridging loan components um a solicitor needs to have a specific requirement I can't remember what what body it is for them to be able to work with that solicitor to facilitate the the, the um legal process. Uh, okay, so normally um you, you would want a firm with at least two partners who are you know regulated and authorized by the FRA. So there's this regulatory authority. Mm -hmm. um, we're not so keen where it's perhaps just one practitioner. Mm -hmm. so, 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 so there'll be that. Also, in choosing a solicitor, don't choose the cheapest because you will get what you pay for. And some high street solicitors may be very good at doing what I might call standard conveyancing, yeah. buying your main home. Mm -hmm. And they may be absolutely excellent at understanding wills and probate. But if they don't have a commercial department, we have had in the past where there have been delays and the delay will not be the lender or the lender solicitor. Uh, we had one recently, actually, on a, on a project I'm working with a client. And um, basically the vendor chose the family solicitor. <laughs> And the family sister really didn't understand what he was doing. And actually, three months in, there was a lot of negotiation because they were trying to buy three parcels of land. Mm -hmm. uh, the sister basically, because we couldn't understand why, why is this project not progressing? And uh, the vendor solicitor basically threw his hands in the air and said, this is not our area of expertise. We thought, why? What, if you only you had said that three months ago, so they had to go move to get essentially a... A much bigger firm of solicitors who've had a commercial department who understood the concept of using an option 
etc etc so that's really important now it might mean you have to pay more yeah. be prepared to pay and build a relationship with a really good commercial solicitor someone who understands what you're doing because if they've never dealt with a bridging loan um, let me just give you a quick heads up so if we're lending to a company then you'll have a normal loan agreement yeah. and there'll be uh, the mortgage charge obviously there may or may not be a debenture which is a charge over the assets or assets of the company. Mm -hmm. If you're a director, you'll have to provide a personal guarantee yeah. to some level. And that means you have to have a separate lawyer within that firm or a separate law firm act for you to do to provide what they call the uh, ILA, independent yeah. legal advice. Yeah. So it, it, that's not normally for the preserve of your normal high street, it, but, but you want to make sure. Because the thing is, this is about getting these deals over the line quickly. And, and, and that's what you want. And normally it can be that advancing legal process that can slow it down. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, we, we lost the deal um, a few weeks ago simply because of the solicitors were not competent enough to actually help us get the deal through through the line. We lost about 100K on that deal um, from a very good friend of mine only because the solicitor has not been proactive. Um, it's not, they've not been actually helping really. They, they kind of, um, he felt like the, the, his solicitor were kind of against him. So we end up losing hundred thousand in that deal, not just the discount. And um, plus he had paid, put down, I think about 10% or 15% to purchase the properties. So we lost about 110,000 pounds in that deal purely because of, because of what you're just saying there, basically. So, and again, you get what you pay for right that's all i would say so again most solicitors would have two partners anyways but you have to make sure you confirm that and you understand exactly who they are what they do what sort of bridging loan company they've dealt with before to be able yes. even to assign them on on any job because obviously you don't want to get burnt for some silly silly reason because obviously if you're buying properties in auction speed is in essence basically you have to act yeah. with speed and you've got some of them got 21 some of them got 28 days to complete and now we're buying a property we're about to purchase a property the 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 um the um, completion date on that property basically is 15 working days so basically the speed is really 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 wow. pivotal in that in that sort of situation. yeah that, that that's that's tight 15 days that's a very, very tight deadline. Yeah. Particularly if it's a leasehold so. property, if it was a flat, because you've got to get the inquiries back from the other side. So yeah. you want to make well, sure. Well, thankfully, it's a it's a freehold property. So yeah. so so hopefully we were able to get that down down the line. So then okay. um uh, another question basically. What is it what is capital stack? Okay, yeah, let's keep this really simple. Yeah. If you can imagine a cake. Uh, my wife bakes very nice cakes. If you come and see That's me for right. a strategy review, uh, you go home with a cake. But just imagine a Victoria sponge. You've got the base. In the middle, you've got your cream or jam, if you like cream or jam. And then you've got the top. The capital stack essentially is made up of two things. If you're, let's say we're buying a property for 100000 mm -hmm. You need some debt, which is a loan. And again, keep it really simple. So it might be a bridging loan which might be, say, up to 60% of the purchase price. So let's say you get 60K of your 100. You're now short, 100, you're now short the 40. Yeah. Now, it might be possible. Again, keep it simple. You might be able to get what we call stretched debt. So there's the 60% gearing, maybe a little bit extra on top, maybe another 10 or 15%. Uh, and even you can get what you have on top of that. It's what we call mezzanine funding. But debt is debt. It's a loan. And if it's a loan, you are liable for the loan. 
So let's just keep it really simple and say, I can raise debt funding up to 70% of the purchase price, just keep, for easy math. Yeah. So we're now short the 30%. That 30% is what we call equity. Yeah. And that could be your equity, mm -hmm. or it might be possible. Again, you can't go, you can't go onto social media, you can't go onto Facebook, Insta, or anywhere else and start pitching deals online and talking about I can pay X amount of interest. Absolutely, that is a no-no. It's illegal. Uh, if the FCA catch you, you're in big trouble. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can't do that. Mm -hmm. What you can do is you can use the right platforms that uh, essentially say crowdfunding platforms where you can raise the debt bit, so the base of the cake, the jam and the cream, and the top might be the top of, of the cake might be the equity. Now you you, you could do that. Essentially, you can raise equity, um, and so you just need to understand when you're doing a deal, what's the debt to equity split? Who's doing what? I have met, Raheem, many people over the years who have freely lent money on crazy interest rates. So let's just make something up. Fred has £100,000. He finds this investor. He's lent him 100 k and he's getting paid 20% interest. And he's really happy with it. Mm -hmm. My question would be, in that layer cake of debt and equity, where do you sit? Without being rude, many people who I've met, and I know people who have lost hundreds of thousands of pounds, they've lent the money, yeah. probably with no security, maybe not even a loan note, mm -hmm. and they don't understand where they sit. Was it debt or was it equity? If it was equity, it's not a loan. Yeah. It's essentially a profit share. Yeah. So you just need to understand that because, well, you just need to understand where you sit within what debt element, what's the equity piece, and my short cap, and my short the equity element. Right? Can I go to a crowdfunding platform? Yes, you can. If you'd like to know more about that, obviously get in touch. But there are there are ways that you can go and raise both debt and equity. Also, let's say you um you know you you were the, the beneficiary of a great aunt who's left you 100,000 and you'd like to invest in property, but you don't really want to get your hands dirty, mm -hmm. you could also use a sort of a peer-to-peer -peer network crowdfunding platform where you could actually invest your money where it's, it's, it's completely compliant with the way the FCA operate and you could get a return on your money. So that's another thing. Again, that's probably for another conversation, but it's just trying to share out, that's the capital stack and you just need to understand where you sit within it and what risk, even if you were lending money, make sure you've got security. Wow, definitely. That, that's a great insight. So um, I've learned a lot there myself. Okay. So, so, so you could also raise, because some people are saying, I haven't got money to, to actually even start my property investment journey. So what we're trying to say, basically, you can even raise your deposit via a loan as well, is, is in it. But, but would the bridging loan not see that as too much of a leverage then for, for the investor? Yeah. I would say, again, let's just keep this really simple. If you're a new investor, you can't go out, not really, go and raise 100% of the money as borrowed money, whether it's debt or equity, and you're not experienced. Yeah. I wouldn't invest in you because I don't know you. What's your track record? Yeah. So you'd have to work that through, but I think that would be challenging. Whereas if you were an experienced investor and you've built, say, a buy-to-let portfolio, and now you might want to move on to something that's a little bit more complex, 
It might be, look, I'm buying a block and I can uh, I own the freehold and I'll create six or seven studios. Then it's possible to arrange, arrange the debt element. And also it may be possible that you go to one of the crowdfunding platforms and they'll go, yeah, we can do a, a, an equity raise for you. And that's essentially like, well, it is, it is a profit share, uh, but it's done within the right regulated environment. So, so you're on the right side of the law. But yes, it is possible to do that. Brilliant. Thank you. So but, but bear in mind, we also talked earlier about using unencumbered property as additional security. It's a great way to get more deals done. Or if you had equity in your main home and providing it stacked and it worked and the gearing wasn't too high, you could also potentially raise capital. And that we've done a lot of that as well. Fantastic. Thank you for that. When is it a good time to use a bridging loan and how can it help an investor grow their portfolio? Yeah, so the way I look at bridging loans, Raheem, would be essentially you're looking at leverage. So if I've got some money um, and I need to do more deals and I want to do them more quickly, well, I'll use a bridging loan because most people, if you say bridging loan, they go, oh, it's expensive. Well, expensive compared to what? Because what you're really looking at is what's your return on your investment? And that's really what it comes down to. So if you can borrow, let's just go back to our fictitious uh, deal of the loan value, but say uh, you're buying a place for 100K, you get a 60K loan. Yeah. Um, it might make sense to borrow that money because it's affordable. It makes sense that when you refinance, when you've worked all your return on your investment goals out, so whether you're going to keep the property if you've refurbished it or you, you flip it, well, providing you're meeting whatever your target is, it might be 10, 15, 20% return on cash that you've invested. Mm -hmm. Well, after all costs, if you meet your number, then it makes sense. Uh, the other time to use it would be, you know, sometimes you can grow your portfolio where, yes, you can get 100% funding for the reasons I said earlier. And that would be your, um, uh, you've got additional security that we can throw in the mix. Yeah. So that way you're able to leverage uh, bridging based on the property you're buying and maybe you've got this unencumbered property or you've got extra equity in your portfolio so now you've got you've used the power of bridging to do another deal where you may not have had to put as much money in the deal as you would normally have to do because you're using additional security but the key thing is this Raheem it's always case by case yeah and, and that's how it is it's like okay what's the project let's look at the best way of trying to get it funded yeah, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right in that one. So let's then move, move now slightly um, away from the refurbishment side of things. Let's look at the development side of things. What is really a development finance and how does it work if someone wants to take advantage of that facility? Sure. Now that takes us to a completely different world. So just to park bridging, normally with bridging, you receive some money up front when you buy. Yeah. And that's normally it. Now, you can get a bridging loan with some additional advances. Mm. It's like a development bridge, but it's not really because we could be looking at I've got a project I've just signed off or two projects actually in the last two weeks. Mm. Um, one is a new build. That's development funding. So I will. So if I talk through the concept of this with you, so the clients found a site. Actually, let's go back a bit. The client contacted me over a year or so ago. He lost his job. He bought a restaurant that had gone under in Wiltshire. He said, I've got expertise. I know what I'm doing. I want to buy it and convert that property into a two-bed cottage. 
Yeah. So I met with him on site and went, yep, we'll we'll provide you roughly 60% or whatever the number was. He did the conversion. He turned this restaurant into a beautiful two-bed cottage, sold it for around a quarter of a million pounds, made about 50K. Mm-hmm. And he said, right, can I now go to my next deal, which was the one I talked about earlier, where the vendor's solicitor didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. That deal died, basically. So he's now found another site where he is the developer. Mm-hmm. He's got a contractor on board. The contractor will build the three-bed house mm-hmm. and we'll fund that three-bed house. So what we're doing is we're giving him, we look at what we call the GDV, the gross development value, and we'll go, we'll give you a proportion of the gross development value. So X amount towards the purchase of the land. That's mm-hmm. one piece. Mm-hmm. And then the bill costs, will be split over, I think we're doing fixed drawdowns over a period of time, which will be linked to the schedule of works and the cost of works. I have a monitoring surveyor who will act for me. He'll go out and inspect the property. I'll go at the same time, obviously. And um, so that's so what the client will get there is he has to put some money in, obviously, towards the purchase. He puts a little bit towards the build. And probably every four weeks, the build is about seven months. Um, we'll go every four weeks, inspect, and within 24, 48 hours, we'll draw down that amount of money, and then you just rinse and repeat and keep going. So right. development finance gives you some money for the purchase and some for the drawdown. Right. Okay, for someone then who bought, for example, in my case, I'll give an example. Um, uh, I bought a hotel, right, um, uh, in uh, in South Wales, and we're looking to convert that hotel into 10, 15 apartment, Right. And I would want to renovate that that property. Does that goes under renovation or it goes under development? So on a project like that, so the first thing we need to understand is, okay, uh, what is it? What's its current class use? Is it so if it's a hotel? It's probably C one use. Yeah. So if it's C one use, I have got one. Funny enough, I'm funding now, which was a guest house. It's a ten bed, and its use bizarrely is C three, which is a dwelling house. Yeah, actually, we're enabling that client to we're, we're facilitating a uh, a holiday let term mortgage for them. Mm-hmm. Just started that process. But coming back to your project, so the first thing there is, if that's a C one hotel, mm-hmm. you will now need to apply for planning permission mm-hmm. to convert that into flats, mm-hmm. which would be C three. Yeah. So, if you bought it. To try and get funding on a property that's not going to be a hotel but flats, normally you would probably use an option contract because you need to know that you're going to get the consent to convert to create the flat. So and if you have if you had the consent, say you've done the planning now, you've gone through planning, you're planning the, the council have approved the planning to build the 1015 flats. Yeah. Right, everything is fine in that front. Now you need the finance. Then does that go on yeah. the reform or, or or development? No, that would be development finance because what you're looking at two things. So what was the purchase price? Yeah, and what? And assuming you've got planning in place, uh, what's the GDV? So what will it be worth? Yeah. So the key questions that within through my mind would be: Okay, what did you pay for it? Have you got planning consent? Yeah. What's the cost of the conversion? Yeah. How long will the conversion take? Yeah. Um, what size will each flat be? So how many square feet or how many square meters? Yeah. Because they're under 30 square meters, that can make it more challenging to refinance them individually 
and create separate leases. So what you'd always work on would be, well, what's your exit? And your exit, Raheem, might be, you might say, actually, what I'd like to do is keep them all, mm-hmm. sell them all, or it might be a blend. Funny enough, I've just finished a project in Blackpool. Mm-hmm. Client did exactly what you've talked about. He bought a hotel which was incredibly run down with planning. So he bought it for about £100,000, I think. Yeah. Um, so we've lent some money towards the purchase. Mm-hmm. And then the bill cost was over 300000 So again, I had a monitoring surveyor act for me. We'd go out and draw the money over a period of time. The goal originally was to sell everything. Mm-hmm. But in that area, there is a massive demand for uh, sort of service accommodation because it's a, a, a big regeneration project mm-hmm. going on right now. Mm-hmm. And so what the clients decided to do is probably just sell a couple of the flats because that brings some cash back in. Mm-hmm. And then refinance the balance of the seven flat on a on a term mortgage, which is exactly what's happening. And then we'd get re- repaid. So that would be essentially yes, it is development finance because you're going to be releasing some money in stages, but it's not ground up development unless you're physically knocking the hotel down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's something that we would look at. But it always stems from what's the end value, okay. and then we work the numbers back. You did touch on just 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 for my audience. Then you you did touch on the size of the of the flats. Um, uh, would you be able to elaborate there a little bit? So what the, what 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 impact that may yeah. cause to define them? To sure. Define so them? if you ha- let's say we've got um, you buy a building, you own the freehold. Not there's no leases involved, and you've converted say an old hotel into six flats. Yeah. The question is, okay, will those flats be over or under 30 square meters? If it's under 30 square meters, yes, you can get funding if you create individual leases per flat, but it's not easy. It's quite challenging. So if you said, actually, my goal is I'm not going to sell this and will retain it, we'd probably look at that as what we call a multi-unit block where you may not even create separate leases. You just have the freehold of the building, yeah. you have the six separate flats, they'd all be self-contained, they'd have their own council tax, etc., and you'd rent them out. It could be holiday lets or it could be to regular uh, tenants on, a, on, an, on an AST, so an assured shorthold tenancy agreement. Yeah. Or you might go, actually, they are over 30 square metres, and like the project I've worked on in Blackpool, uh, I need to sell two because I need some physical cash back but I'd like to keep the balance. Yeah. So they would need to be over 30 square meters to get them funded individually. And depending on the size of the block, it might mean that, um, let's say there were eight, because the math is easy. Often many buy to let lenders, assume they're over 30 square meters, you may, one lender wouldn't normally like to risk more than 25% mm-hmm. of the mortgages in the block. Mm-hmm. So that might mean if you've got eight flats, well, 25% of that would give you, what is that, two? Though so you've got four, it might need four separate lenders to fund that on individual buy-to-let mortgages. Or I know we could also take it to another lender. There are many of the challenger banks who would go, yep, yeah, we'll happily fund that. Again, it's case by case, but it's all doable. Right, okay, fantastic for that then. So if you were to remortgage, if you were to remortgage that 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 property then, um, uh, as a whole freehold, those six flats we're talking about then, does that impact the value of the properties? 
compare if you were to if you were to remortgage them individually? Yeah. So I know the project that we had in Blackpool as uh, a multi-unit block um, where I think two separate leases were created for the flats that were being sold. They've gone uh, or are going. It's imminent. Mm. And what's left would be valued, but often on a multi-unit block basis, depending on the lender, they may reduce that value by maybe 10 or 15% if it's a multi-unit block. Whereas if you said, no, what I'm going to do is create, for the purpose of this illustration, a flat I might sell to, so you've got some good, good comparables on end value, and actually what's left, I'll create individual leases and therefore refinance them individually. Theoretically, they should be worth marginally more than if you did it as a multi-unit block, yes. Fantastic, thanks very much for actually sharing that with us. What are your thoughts on challenges facing landlords, developers and investors um, currently? Yeah, so this is really interesting, Raheem. So let's, you know, if you're a landlord, and let's just put a line in the sand today, personal view, you know, there's been sort of like an ongoing attack by amazingly a conservative government that sort of cripples or hinders landlords. Yeah. And, and I, I don't understand it because yeah. some of the policies, you think, well, that's not what I would expect from a conservative government. So let me give you an example. I can't remember the exact date when this kicked in, but if you own property in your own name as a landlord, when they change the rules based around being able to claim mortgage interest rate relief, most people didn't really understand the implication of that. Yeah. Well, the implication is they phased it in over that four-year period. At the end of the four-year period, it's very simple. As a landlord, he or she now pays way more tax. Yeah. And bizarrely, uh, actually, you don't even need to be an economics graduate to understand this. Landlords will sell those properties. Yeah. Guess what's happened? So many landlords have offloaded stock not to go back into the rental market, but people have just bought them, turned them into residential homes. Yeah. Now, Rick's recently, I think within the last two weeks, Rick's did a survey, published a report. They estimate at least 50,000 buy-to-let properties will leave the market. Yeah. Now, if you do that, again, you don't need to be Einstein, but what will happen? Rents will rise. Yeah. My youngest son works for... Uh, um, a letting agency all they keep seeing is rents rising most investors if i speak to them Raheem, if you've got a two-bed property depending on location but the rent on that's probably gone up by 200 pounds a month yeah and that's because there's very limited stock lots and lots of people are chasing a very small amount of stock that they can rent so that's an upside for a landlord but it's not good for society because there's less stock available rents go yeah. crazy that yeah. down to um government policy here's the thing you really want to pay attention to folks it's a challenge and it's an opportunity correct that's the whole concept of what we call MEES: minimum energy efficiency standards yeah. and in its simplistic form this is what you just want to be aware of if you have a buy to let property if you've got new tenants after 2025 it will be illegal to rent that property if the EPC rating is not an A to C rating. Wow. That's massive. Yeah. Now, existing tenants from 2028, if the EPC is not an A to C, you cannot rent the property. Go to the .gov website, 
have a look at EPC ratings for the road you live in, and you'll see lots of property don't uh, won't have a rating because yeah. uh, if it hadn't been sold, then you wouldn't have the rating. Yeah. What would I do? I would probably become an EPC assessor. <laughs> that would give me an opportunity to find deals. Yeah. I would be using lots of option contracts to sign up investors with the opportunity to buy their property. Because here's what I think will happen. Most people, like they did with the mortgage interest rate relief tax, didn't understand it, didn't pay attention. Most people aren't interested in the detail. This will hit people in 2025. And then they'll realize they can't rent that property. Now, normally with an EPC, and please check it with an assessor, but normally if you're putting LED bulbs in and sufficient um, insulation in the lot, that can make a big difference to you getting to that C rating. But I would be assessing all my properties like now, because I have heard that the EPC ratings may change the way that they assess. Mm -hmm. so I'd get everything assessed now. And I think there will be some landlords slash investors who just offload stock. That's a mm -hmm. massive opportunity because yeah. it won't be about the value. Mm -hmm. It'll be, I can solve your problem. I'll clear your debt. Yeah. And that might be a very different number to value. So that's so from a, a landlord point of view, um, Raheem, that's, that's that one. The mm -hmm. other thing you just, uh, if you want to bring... Yeah, time. just to touch on onto the landlord side of things. I think we 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 have already got the effect here in Wales because they wanted to change some of the laws in Wales in this July, but they had to postpone it because it was just too much for... It was just too much for the landlords, basically. And there's so many regulations coming in. That's the reason why you're now saying in Wales, especially, especially in Wales, people are not bothered anymore to rent the properties out to tenants. They rather have it as an Airbnb yeah. or a holiday let, so they don't deal with the problem of having a tenant in their property because they're changing the law that you're not allowed to evict your tenant within the twelve month of the tenancy, and even if you're going to evict them, right, you have you have to give them six month notice. Yeah, but not just that. If any repairs are required within the property, that stop the tenant of using the property fully. They can deduct that as part of their rent as well. So it bring, it's creating a situation where either landlords are selling their portfolio or they don't bother to actually rent it out. They'd rather have it as an SA where they would have guests going in and out, even if it's 50% occupancy rate, as long as they can pay their mortgage and make a bit of money as they would have made if they rented it, they're happy to keep the property that way than to really have a tenant in the property. So that is causing a massive impact in Wales right now. Hence the reason why the government in Wales had to postpone it to um, December, basically dragging the can down the road, hopefully thinking that that will make a bit of a difference. So I can understand. Yep. And, and then the interest rate as well has impacted people massively. And I think that has come to effect already now. So if you own a property in your on, on your name, you're not allowed to deduct the interest at a, as an expense. Right, Correct. have to be part of an part of an expense, and obviously, what that means, basically, as you said, it, it makes you pay more more tax. And again, that's also leading landlords. So either quickly buy to let market, which again provide opportunities for you and I and other investors, but they're gonna be they're going to be so stringent in the law that would kind of squeeze the people that are renting, which then effectively causes massive rent increase. For example, a property that that, that was rented about maybe £800 last year, right? It's not going for £1,200. Yeah. Right? With something else you just need... And in my estate agency right now, we haven't got any properties to let. 
because everything is gone. And the other thing, just to finish off on the EPC piece, just to square this off. So you've got what's happening with EPC ratings. Can you rent or can't you rent? But then what you have is most mortgage companies now. So if you look at the green agenda, if you want a green mortgage, you need an A to C EPC rating. Now, this is linked to, and if you're not familiar with it, I'd strongly urge you to do some research. Look, I like doing research. I like data. I like detail. Uh, most, well, all, all lenders will have what you call an ESG policy, and that's based around environmental, social, and governance. They are, the lenders have to create these green mortgages, which will mean if you have an A to C rating, you get a lower cost mortgage. If you have a property that's outside the A to C rating, you will pay a higher interest rate. And that's starting to happen right now. Here's my fear. You're a landlord. If your property rating, so I've got a client who's bidding to buy um, a flat on Friday. The EPC rating on that flat is an E. Now, I've seen the EPC report, and one of the suggestions was to clab the outside of the building. Well, she can't do that if she buys it yeah. because it's a flat. Mm -hmm. um, that Those costs could be prohibitive. There are some grants and some limitations today. But if you don't hit the rating, you can't sell it. Sorry, you can't rent it. Yeah. And therefore, if you can't rent it, you can't what, sell it. what's your plan B? Yeah. We've not even touched on interest rates, but you know we're just seeing gradually interest rates are rising and rising and rising. What would my top tip be for a landlord today? I would be refinancing my entire portfolio ASAP on the rates that you can get right now. So I, I think I mentioned a few minutes back, I've got this uh, client bought a hotel. We've managed to sort some funding on a sub 5% holiday let mortgage. I know the rate on that product will rise imminently. So she's just filling the forms in and um, the particular lender that we're going to use uh, providing we can get the case in, they will allow for a very, very modest fee of sub 200 pounds to lock that rate in for 120 days because I think the rates will definitely rise. Uh, the Fed yesterday um, put the rates up, and I always follow what, what the Americans say, but the Fed went up by 75 basis points yesterday. We will probably see another 25 basis points, so that's 0.25% of 1% hit our, our base rates here. So where's the opportunity? If you have cash or the ability to access cash, I could see around 2024, 2025, definitely, where there will be some landlords who'll go, I just have to sell because you will not be able to rent. And the cost for meeting the standard may be prohibitive and they may not have the ability to either raise the money or access the tradespeople to do the work or it becomes prohibitive. So I see that as um, there definitely is an opportunity there. From a developer point of view, Raheem, yeah. keeping it simple. Um, so I was with a funder last night. Their main expertise is development funding. And we we're having dinner. Here's the rub. The GDV, the gross development value, is a number. You can't really push the GDV. They're at their highest levels as they are, i.e. property prices are high. Yeah. The cost of doing work has risen massively. Yeah. So before we we might have worked on, let's keep it really simple, minimum 120 pounds per square foot to 150 pounds a square foot, or let's just keep the math simple, 1,200 to 1,500 pounds a square meter. I've got a project we're just about to fund for a client in Bournemouth. 
Um, he's waiting for the contractors to come back with two prices to build a new property. It's about 1,400 square meters mm -hmm. between 2,300 and 2,800 pounds per square meter. Wow. These are the levels. And the guys I was with last night, there were about four of us, and they're going, that's the sort of level that we're looking at now. That's a massive thing. Much, much higher. So here's the rub. If you're looking to sell land, you may get a high price today, yeah. but the cost of land acquisition will have to drop because normally we work on this old concept of a third is the cost of the land, a third is the cost of the build, and a third is the developer's margin. Yeah. And the margin will get squeezed a little bit, but the developer has got to make a margin or it's not viable. So I can see land prices, they'll have to drop because I don't think you can massively control the cost of the build when you've got labor costs rising and material costs rising. GDVs may drop a little bit. Uh, so that's really uh, interesting. But then you've got, you know, this week, uh, what did the Yanks do? Uh, the White House redefined the concept of what a recession is. Yeah. Everybody knows a recession is two negative quarters of growth. Yeah. Uh, based on GDP. And they came out and went, that's no longer valid. And it's utter nonsense. They've had one negative quarter of growth, I think if my memory's right. Some new data is due out. Um, we most likely will hit a recession. These things happen. It might be short, sharp. You get a bit of a correction and, and then you move forward. So if you're if you're a developer, you need to be mindful of all of those costs, the costings and GDVs, and making sure that the contractors have the capacity to deliver on projects. Right. Okay. Touching on that, then, do you know what they've changed the definition to then? Because I understand it was two negative quarters, um, and that's what we call it a recession, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So I did see this was I saw this a couple of days ago, and I think it was Joe Biden who actually talked about it. And I think they came up. I've got to be really careful because we're recording this, but basically they came up with some fluffy words that basically goes there are many other factors that take this into account, and it's not happening. You can't gaslight people based on the concept that you don't like the data. No. So you turn around and you say something else. Um, we live in an interesting world because there is no such thing as the truth anymore. It's just my truth. Uh, yeah, exactly. and, and, and you think, wow. Uh, so what do you do? If you're a developer, you're a landlord, you look at the data. Um, that's what you do. Um, if you look at if you're not familiar for the audience, just spend a little bit of time. If you Google the concept of the 18 year property cycle, some people have written on it, uh, written about it, sorry. It's a really interesting concept. I buy into it. So what is it in a nutshell? 2008 to 2012, we had four years of uh, basically negative growth. It was down with spiral. Yeah. From 2012 to 27, oh, sorry, 2012, for seven years, say to about 2019, approximately, you get your first phase of growth. Yeah. And then you get this midterm dip a mini recession, but a blip. You get a pullback. Look at a chart for, say, currency or a stock. It doesn't go in a straight line. It pulls right. back, and then it goes again. So right. we are now in that second phase. What we have experienced, though, is a little strange because we had the we had Brexit and we had COVID, mm -hmm. and you sprinkle that on it, so it's upset the numbers a little bit. But we are now in that second phase. Now, if you go back to the last 18-year um, cycle, from 2001 to 2008, the chart basically went like this. Yeah. And then in 08, 
bang, we had the crash, the great crash because of the issues that happened in America. And then, you know, the, a lot of the banks went under. So the theory is somewhere around maybe 2025, 2026, that's when we hit peak price. Mm -hmm. If you want a good indicator for that, find out where in the world the tallest sky skyscape is being built. And you go, right, that's probably when we do our next in terms of crash on property prices. Um, you can't say 100% that this is about right, but the numbers are not far wrong. So I think we've still got a little bit to go, but I think interest rates will have a big impact um, on your ability to buy and do more if the rates keep rising and rising because mm -hmm. your return uh, based on your gross yield, less all your costs, would make it marginal if you were new, if you were new to this. Absolutely. What does what does the future look look like for property finance and bridging finance? Yeah, that's an interesting question, Raheem. So here's the thing. Um, there are lots of lenders with lots of money and they're all very, very keen to lend. So from a so just, you know, from for, for our audience, if you're out there, whether you want to borrow money for bridging or development finance, there are that's very healthy market. They want to lend. Um, lenders are innovative. Prices are, um, you know, it's a competitive market, but it's not always about price. And this is what we raised over dinner last night. There's always going to be a race to the bottom on price. Yeah. But actually what you need is you need a lender that you have a good relationship with. We do as a lender as well. And we really work to, we like to understand our clients and what they're trying to achieve. So I can't see that change for a long time. Why? Again, you step back and understand well, where does bridging money come from? Not that long ago, if you put your money into a German bond, the yield or the return was negative. Yeah. Just think about that for a minute. Here's a million pounds, and they will charge you to hold money. So bond rates now are absolutely crazy, as in the yield is about circa 3%, just under 3% uh, on the US Treasury 10-year bond, which yeah. means the value of the bond has dropped. So... There are lots of funders, hedge funds, uh, uh, private family offices with surplus cash. They've invested that into uh, bridging firms to lend out. So let's say they're getting 5 or 6% return on their money on relatively low gear, say 50 60% gearing uh, on property. It's a good investment. So I, I think the property, the bridging finance, development finance, that whole market will continue to boom. There may be one or two casualties because there are lots of lenders in the, in the space. I think working with traditional banks is incredibly challenging. Your high street banks, yeah, yeah. that's challenging. Um, and um, one other thing I'd say, this is a little bit controversial, but you really want to be mindful and do some research into understanding central bank digital currency. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole two hours there, but yeah. CBDC is coming. Mm -hmm. And that will change the way that we use our money. Yeah, and, and I'd say just go to do a little bit of research into how that operates. Fantastic. Thanks very much for that. How can a, how can a high network individual invest directly into short term finance? I.e., if they've got money and they want to lend out because we know the interest rate is not great at, at, at the moment. So what, are, what, what, what sort of things are, are involved in, in order to allow them to do so? Yeah, so probably the easiest way to answer that question, Raheem, would be if you've got funds 
and you really don't try to run a bridging company it's not easy it's incredibly time intensive we're regulated by the fda um what i would probably do is maybe use like a crowdfunding platform where you can go through a regulated platform where you can actually take someone like crowd property for example very well known through the pin network where you can borrow money and you can also lend money and uh, i'd say i'd look at a, 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 i'd look at something like that I have worked on an individual basis with investors where I'm working on projects where we borrowed funds and the rate we pay just depends on what the risk is and what the project is. I'm always happy to have a chat with people about that. But okay. um, yeah, but there are crowdfunding platforms where you could you could do debt, i.e. it's straightforward. Equity is more risky, but again, it's doable. Fantastic. Thanks very much for that. Do you have any particular lessons or mistake you've made in the past? that you would like to you've learned from and you'd like to advise or to kind of explain how how investors can actually potentially um uh, um not make the same sort of mistakes yeah no sure I, well, let me rattle through some of these because um yeah we've learned a lot in 16 years of doing this you always have to be have the you need to be able to pivot you need to be able to change uh i absolutely do not have all the answers uh but what would i say number one as an investor slash developer, slash landlord, you need a really clear plan and you need to review that plan on a regular basis. And if you're investing, do your due diligence. Don't just rely on what a third party says. Don't just rely on what someone like me says. Just because I'm on uh, being recorded, yeah. check, validate, check, validate. Um, I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. I'd spread my risk, for sure. And understand what the market needs. And be really clear about what the market needs because it might be oh we need three bed houses so why did you buy one bed flats because they were cheap well they were cheap for a reason because there wasn't a demand so yeah. understand the demand whether you're renting or if you're buying to refurb and sell yeah. the other thing that can really trip people up understanding planning all the rules and regs based around planning uh say if you wanted to run an hmo a house of multiple occupancy what are the rules for that i think if i'm correct Tell me, um, Raheem, I don't know if you if you run HMOs in Wales, do you now need sprinklers? Is that am I correct? Or is that for new builds? Um in the new in the new HMO properties, yes, you you need sprinklers. If you if you if you, if you're building up from ground up, but if you're already buying an existing property, you you're you're not if I'm if I'm correct, you're not required to have sprinklers on. Okay. And so just on that piece, guys, uh, I know someone who used to work at Portsmouth Council as a HMO enforcement officer. And I was at, I, I attend a lot of networking events and I was at an event last week. Uh, my understanding is in Portsmouth, just to give you the framework of the sorts of challenges you have as an investor. I think they're looking to license every single property, not just HMOs, everything. So I think licensing will happen. Uh, I know of investors who've looked at buying HMOs because there's a lot for sale, because guess what? They don't meet the standards. They don't meet the minimum room sizes. I was at another event in Bournemouth last week. I met, uh, um, he's not just an investor, but he works with investors. And he said, oh, I've worked with someone and uh, he bought a property for cash, as in bought it in a few days. Mm -hmm. I went, why did he do that? He didn't do any due diligence. That property, and I'm really surprised at this, had an enforcement notice slapped on it by the council. And the cost to correct it was about 30 to 50,000 pounds. Wow. He cannot rent that property. It had a locked room and they went, that's not fit for purpose. 
because, and I still find this hard to believe, it doesn't meet current standards, but it did when it was built, and the enforcement officer said, we don't care, it's about current standards. So you could have an enforcement officer turn up, tell you one thing, and he's now bought a property which he perceived to be cheap. Mm. Well, it was cheap because he didn't do his DD. Yeah. Do your DD, hire a good planning consultant, get really good experts around you and be prepared to pay them because they are worth the weight in gold. Um, contractors, get references, see works that they've completed. You know, if you can get a contractor to turn up tomorrow, very unusual, I would probably be a little bit suspicious unless they've just had a project that, that's been cancelled. But again, do your work. Fantastic. You need a lawyer? Yeah. Always use a solicitor. Please yeah. don't go onto Facebook or Insta or TikTok and go, can I borrow a, a loan agreement? No, no, no. Pay a lawyer. They've got the PI cover. Get them to give you the appropriate advice so you get yourself protected. And ask lots and lots of questions. Build a really good team around you and be open to learning. Of course. Um, because every day I find is a learning day. Yeah, but, but definitely. Any particular wins from properties that jump out um, at you that of us can learn from? Yeah, I would say, Raheem, um, I think the key thing, you know, so we started this business in 2006. I knew nothing about bridging finance. Zip, nada, nothing. But like everything I go into, I knew nothing about IT, but I built an IT consulting business. Um, you have to be prepared to really dig in, network, uh, work with people who are experts in their field. And what I'd say is the, the wins that we've had is it's always been based around the relationships we've formed with our clients, with our partner lenders, with lawyers, basically all of the experts, planning consultants, et cetera. Um, I think the greatest thing that we've done is the strategy reviews that we run for investors, which I only do on a one-to-one -one basis, and that's where I've really got to know the clients I've worked with who I've lent money to. And we've helped them completely change some of their strategies. And they've made millions of pounds. Funny enough, the chap I was with last night with the lender met me uh, four years ago, had a particular strategy. My advice was I'd been that strategy. It wasn't right. He moved to do something else. And he makes a lot of money doing what we had talked about. The other thing I would do is always focus on your return on cash your ROCE, return on your capital employed or your cash employed, i.e. set a number. Do you want a 10% return or a 20% return? It's nice to make 20K, but if 20K on a flip is 5%, I'd probably question whether I do the deal because a 5% return on my risk money might not be enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, just always be available looking for opportunities. We have funded so many projects, folks. There's just almost too many to, uh, to go into detail. But what I like most is that the clients I work with are actually doing good in society. They're creating new accommodation, new homes yeah. for people to move into and, and build their lives. Yeah. And, and, and either these things would be derelict or they'd be in a poor state of repair. And that's what this community does. And people say greedy landlords. Well, look, someone's got to live somewhere. You have to make a margin. But you create great homes. That, that's your contribution. That's a big, big buzz for me. Absolutely. That also brings joy to me. So what are some of your rituals, behaviors or habits that helped you um, succeed in your business? Yeah, no, really good. Um, I remember going to um, a dinner 
a few years back, about five or six years ago, and it was a dinner through uh, the PIN Network, uh, which is hosted by Simon Susi. And um, there was a chap on stage, uh, a chap called Derek Mills. And what really stood out for me, I write goals. I've always written goals down. You know, my day is planned. And he wrote a book, which you can get. It's called The 10 Second Philosophy by Derek Mills. Um, and he talked about the concept of standard. And standard is where you physically stand. And it's like, well, so what are your standards? So yes, have your goal. But what I learned most was about setting standards, because that's all about your reputation, yeah. et cetera. And in doing those standards, it might be like I have one where I see a personal trainer three times a week. Yeah. In the summer month, just for fun, I, I've sponsored people who've walked a million steps in three months. Well, actually, funny enough, a million steps over three months, guess what? It's only 11,111 steps a day. Yeah. So I walk two hours every morning from six to eight, and I do somewhere, you know, before I get to my desk, I've done over 12,000 steps. I, I do it for fun. So I create these new standards, and I'd urge you to create your own standards. But the key thing is it's always about your reputation. And your reputation defines you. It's how people view you, how you act. And that is in the eyes of your tenants or your community. And that's really, really important. And that's what we've always strove to do is that people who work with me anyway they understand that I am blunt and direct. I don't wish to be rude. I tell it as it is. Mm -hmm. But it's really important to have a good reputation um, and having these key standards that you work to uh, so that you build your own business and help other people build their businesses, Raheem. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, what's the future focus for closed bridging finance? Where are we spending time? Where yeah. are you spending time right now in terms of the closed bridging finance? Yeah, so we've had, uh, and we had right throughout COVID, uh, bizarrely, we've been incredibly busy. In the last three to four months, it's crazy. You know, we're just really, really busy. So I don't see any significant changes. Obviously, as a lender, the key thing is to get your money out the door mm -hmm. and get your money back. Mm -hmm. So that's what we work on. So that's working on the projects if we're uh, funding new bills, et cetera, or conversions. Uh, we're always out looking for new people to collaborate with, looking at deals, Um our one-to-one -one strategies, we didn't do those throughout the COVID period. We're certainly doing many more now. We've been really busy with those. Yeah. Uh, and But always, we're keeping an eye on our return on our capital employed. That's the key thing. So, folks, whether you've got 10K, 20K, 50K, or 100K, and you're investing it, are you focused on your key metrics to measure your performance, uh, the key metrics on your money? So are you getting the right return on the assets that you own and the money that you've invested. And a big part of that for me certainly is every day we have a daily action plan. So you're just reviewing what you, you worked out that you would do when you started your week. What was your plan for the week? What was the plan for the month, the quarter, and the year? And my wife, Charlotte, and I, we do that all the time, not just in business, but also in all our personal stuff. So, so you know where you stand. And that's a big part of what we do. Fantastic. I love that. I love that. That is really, really nice to have. Um, quick fire round questions. Let's keep them very, very brief. Um, they are funny questions as well. Some will maybe get you to laugh a little bit. Yeah. What was the, what what was your um uh, what was the worst advice you remember receiving? Worst advice. Wow, you throw me there, Raheem. I'm it was probably maybe linked to school. Uh, work hard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
best advice you remember receiving? The best advice? Um, I'd loosely say trust no one. And what I mean by that, don't just take on face value what you're told. Mm. Ask questions. Always ask questions. I say my kids are kids, but actually they're not. They're 27, 25, and 20. But mm. that's about ask questions, engage with people, and always be open to communicate. Absolutely. Who is your favorite sports star? Uh, I'm a big fan of motorsport. And I would say, if you're looking at, say, Formula One, it would have been um, probably Michael Schumacher. Mm -hmm. uh, in his day, he was amazing. Yeah, he was. Uh, I'm a big fan of MotoGP. I'll follow that. And Valentina Rossi was an amazing uh, motorcyclist. Uh, I can't remember how many years. Some of you can probably correct me. But, you know, he retired. I think he was 41. And you think, you know, riding at, at that level to the age of 41 is just phenomenal. Amazing. Of sports people, for sure. Looking back at your 18-year self, what would you have done differently? Uh, when I was 18, I lived in a lot of children's homes and stuff when I was younger. So yeah. I was always keen to push and strive. I'd set goals, write goals. Um, what I know now, but didn't then, I would have gone into property if it was possible when I was 18. Brilliant. You couldn't do buy-to-let in those days. Um, yeah. Whatever that was, I'm 56. So it's quite a few years back. Um, but yeah, I would have got into property for sure. Brilliant. What was your inspiration growing up? I read a lot of books based on personal development. Um, when I started my first proper job at MCR, my boss then, a chap called Tony, and that was in 1987. And he gave me on the first day of work, he gave me uh, a chapter from a book um uh, dale carnegie how to win friends and influence people mm. and he said buy that um i also had a couple of other books uh, from a chap called frank betcher how to raise myself from, from failure to success in sales and how i doubled my income and happiness in sales and he and my and what tony said to me buy a inspirational or personal development book one a month and never share them because you'll never get them back Mm. And I pretty much have done that. And what's interesting, Tony and that team I worked with in 87, we still meet three to four times a year and now we're in 2022. Bless you. That's and good. That's about relationships. That is a commitment as well. Yeah. We all run our own businesses. Uh, none of us work for corporates. We built our own businesses. And that came from learning, for example, how to sell, how to communicate, how to ask good questions how to potentially be an entrepreneur. And, and guess what, folks? It's a massive journey with massive highs and really low lows. Mm -hmm. But what you have to do is you keep on keeping on. So when I come into my office, which is in my home office, it's uh, we converted the whole office, a nice big room. Um, I come in here every day. I have There's a whiteboard there. And it's right. What are the deals I'm working on today that can take me one step closer to where I need to go to? That's my thing. And, and more importantly, smile and enjoy what you do. Absolutely. Your biggest regret? I don't have regrets, Raheem. I think what I've, I've seen a lot in my life, uh, none of it I regret. I, I think if you use a car analogy, 
yet sometimes you need to be aware by looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah. But what I my mindset is, I only look forward. I'm only interested in the momentum that takes me forward mm -hmm. because I can look back, but I can't change what happened. So I'm not interested sure. in the past. It's just like, move on, move on, move on, learn, learn from it. And there's always massive learnings. And then providing you've learned, you think, right, put that in your journal or whatever, however you, you want to keep a note of it. So that next time round, you come up with that, that, that issue or your challenge, you go, oh, that's how I dealt with it before. Actually, I think I could deal with it in a slightly different way today so I didn't get into that situation. But it is always about momentum going forward, going forward, going forward, and then bring people along with you so you enhance and you enrich their lives. Fantastic. Is there something you, you believe that lots of people disagree with you? Yeah, I'm quite opinionated. Uh, I Yeah, I've got opinions on some things that some, some may not agree. Uh, I think the most important thing is uh, to be your own person. I, I don't follow the crowd. If anything, I'm running in the opposite direction to the crowd, yeah. which, by the way, is a good thing and also a bad thing. Because, for example, if you traded currency, for example, sometimes you, the, the, what the trend is your friend until the end. So you need to be going with the crowd. But there are other things where you may have your own personal views or your opinions. Yeah. And I think it's important, and certainly with my, my kids, uh, it's important that you are able to think for yourself and articulate your arguments. Uh, don't just be a sheep. Yeah, of course. What is the best book you've ever read or listened to? I listen to so I so in the early days I built a big library of books that you would read, but then when COVID kicked in and I started to listen to lots of Audible books. Yeah. And also, if you don't know, folks, Audible's cheap as chips, but also your local library you can join, and they have an app called Borrow Box, and that's Audible books you can download for free. So oh, I nice. use a combination of Audible and Borrow Box and listen at 1.25 speed. There are so many books that I've read over the years. I would say the one that's probably inspired me a lot was the Frank Betcher books because they were one of the first books. Because Frank Betcher was a life insurance salesman and he was not very good at selling life insurance, but he learned how to basically tell stories, how to communicate, how to ask questions, how to be inquisitive, how to offer good service. All those things, it's really simple. And um, when I was given that chapter in 1987, Frank Betcher wrote that book in, I think it was 1915, 1920. And here's the thing, set aside technology, nothing's really changed because yeah. it's about communication. Correct. So there's so many books I just can give you one, but that would be one I'd, I'd go back and pick that up again. Fantastic, thank you. Does money change you? Um, I think money is like water uh it has to flow so it's got to come in and you've got to go out so you've got to basically earn it you've got to spend it mm -hmm. um it depends what you do with it um if it can enhance and enrich your life why do you want to be poor so do everything in your power not to be in that position and also how do you help other people so uh, yeah we all need cash folks of course does money make you happy uh money money can it make you happy Yes, but what I've learned on my 56 years on this planet, it's not about money making you happy. And I know people who are wealthy, they sure as hell are not happy. 
they may have the flashy cars and they might have all the nice trinkets. But actually, what I've learned, and I have a really good network of different types of friends that, 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 that I see, actually what makes you happy is your friends and your friendship groups and the things that you do. And that's not about money. Brilliant, you're right. Is there something you use to strongly believe you recently changed your mind on? No, I can't think of, no, I can't think of um, of anything that I would have changed my mind, which I strongly believe. I'll do my, some... What I will do is I'll do my research. Right, okay. I'll do lots of research and then I'd stand by that conviction because yeah. I think I'll have done enough. So I wouldn't just glibly say something if I didn't understand what I was talking about. Right. Is there something in the world you fundamentally think is wrong and you would like to change? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I would say we live in very we live in very interesting times right now. Uh, I have not seen the concept of truth does not exist anymore. No. I think the concept of truth from people in power in government and from sort of the global elite have a slightly different agenda that I think to um, yeah, I think that, that, that there are different views by people in power, for example, redefining the definition of a recession that's absurd yeah so because you don't like what's happening you can't just turn around and change the definition that makes no sense yeah because the challenge you have is if you can't well one what is the truth well now you can't really determine the truth because somebody says one thing so what do you do if you've got small children thankfully i don't have small children but i'll probably have grandchildren i guess yeah and so the challenge you've got there is how do you teach kids the difference between right and wrong yeah. when society struggles with what might be right or wrong, where you might know in yourself, Raheem, you know, we know what um, um, uh, a recession is. Yeah. And you've got people in power saying, well, that's not what it is. You think, oh, funny. What else have you told me that's not true? Yeah. So actually what I do, folks, is very simple. I don't watch the news. I've not watched the news probably in about 18 months. Yeah. And I don't read newspapers. I skim read the headlines on electronic papers to see what the headline is. But beyond that, tune out and go and do some something really positive, listen to a good audible book or something that's motivational and focus on building your business and your network. Brilliant. I like that. This podcast is called Property Investment Blueprint. What does Property Investment Blueprint means to you? If you want to be successful in property and I'd say in life, and that's why I started doing our one-to-one -one strategy reviews about 15 years ago, because I'd meet lots of clients who were a little bit unclear about their strategy. So you need a strategy. So we have, bizarrely, we have a wealth model or a blueprint. So you need a blueprint. You need a model that you go, right, that works for me. This is what I can do. And that's what I share when I sit down with clients when we do our strategy reviews. And we go, okay, but I've learned it based on the hundreds and hundreds of investors I've worked with. You create this blueprint and then you work on it and then you constantly refine it. So that's what I'd see as a, as a blueprint. Fantastic. Thank you. Final one. If, if there was only one person you'd love me to interview, who would that person be and why? Oh. It would probably... I guess it's probably going to be someone in business. 
there are so many people that you could interview. Yeah. Um, he's controversial, actually. Yeah, 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 I'd be. Yeah, it would be interesting only because I'm intrigued. Uh, and it was Bernie Eccleston who yeah. set up for, or ran Formula One. Mm-hmm. And there's an interesting character. Uh, I've read the book about him. Uh, he's definitely controversial. Yeah. But what he did do is he had a vision for Formula One that if you go back and look, all of those trucks, when you turn up to uh, the motor racing circuit, are parked. They're so OCD. Everything had to be perfect. Yeah. And he didn't take any nonsense. And he built a brand. Now, whether you agree or disagree with some of his other views. So I go, yeah, he'd be an interesting person I'd like to do. Right. Good. What an amazing way to end. And that was really, really great moment for me, for you to share your bridging, bridging company and information, to share your property investment journey. It's been absolutely amazing. For, for our audience who would like to raise finance, who would like to book a strategic call with you to learn about their strategies, where can they follow you or where are you hanging out in social media if they want to contact you? Yeah, sure, Raheem. So uh, you can't but miss the web address, folks, which is oh, that way. <laughs> yeah, that way. Yeah, the yeah. web address and my phone number. Um, uh, email, yeah, I'm a bit old school. I still use email, and that's simple. That's info, info at closedbridgingfinance.com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook too, but probably going to the website, you can get some info there, uh, or just pick the phone up, ping me an email. Just to confirm the um, website for the people that will be listening on uh, on uh, on our podcast channel, it is closedbridgingfinance.com. Yep, very simple. C L O F E D. Got to have a D in it, closed, then bridging, B-R-I-D-G-I-N-G, finance.com. Or if really? you just search the web for Rory O'Mara, you'll, you'll find me. This has been absolutely amazing. Um, thank you so much for sharing your life passion with, with us. I love you. I would, love, I would love to work with you as well in the future. It has been really, really great spending time with you. And I really ap- appreciate your time. And thank you very much for joining the Property Investment Blueprint podcast interview. Raheem, it's always a pleasure to meet with new people. If I can share just one idea, folks, in the time that we spent doing our podcast today, if you take one idea away and act on it, then I've done my job. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Thank you. That's all for today. And thanks to our guests for sharing their property investment journey with us. It has been a truly inspirational story to me. And I hope it has been an inspiration to you too to take a leap of faith to start or scale your property investment adventure. In the meantime, if you would like to share your investment journey, I have made it really easy. Just go to rahimbad.com forward slash guest. Fill out a short questionnaire to sign up and we will get in touch. Whilst you're there, sign up for my monthly newsletter to get your property investment news and updates. Or connect with me in Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Rahimba and TikTok, Rahimba 101. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash the like button and leave me a review wherever you're listening or watching from. I shall see you next time.